Chapter forty two of Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Timothy Pinkham. Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens. Chapter forty two. Illustrative of the convivial sentiment that the best of friends must sometimes part. The pavement of Snow Hill had been baking and frying all day in the heat, and the twain Saracens' heads guarding the entrance to the hostelry of whose name and sign they are the duplicate presentments, looked, or seemed in the eyes of jaded and footsore passers-by to look, more vicious than usual, after blistering and scorching in the sun, when in one of the inn's smallest sitting-rooms, through whose open window there rose in a palpable steam wholesome exhalations from reeking coach-horses, the usual furniture of a tea-table was displayed in neat and inviting order, flanked by large joints of roast and boiled, a tongue, a pigeon-pie, a cold fowl, a tankard of ale, and other little matters of the like kind, which, in degenerate towns and cities, are generally understood to belong more particularly to solid lunches, stage-coach dinners, or unusually substantial breakfasts. Mr. John Brodie, with his hands in his pockets, hovered restlessly about these delicacies, stopping occasionally to whisk the flies out of the sugar-basin with his wife's pocket-handkerchief, or to dip a teaspoon in the milk-pot and carry it to his mouth, or to cut off a little knob of crust and a little corner of meat and swallow them at two gulps like a couple of pills. After every one of these flirtations with the eatables, he pulled out his watch and declared with an earnestness quite pathetic that he couldn't undertake to hold out two minutes longer. Tilly, said John to his lady, who was reclining half awake and half asleep upon a sofa. "'Well, John!' "'Well, John!' retorted her husband impatiently. "'Dost thou feel hungry, lass?' "'Not very,' said Mrs. Brodie. "'Not very,' repeated John, raising his eyes to the ceiling. "'Hear her say not very!' and us dining at three, and lunching off pestry that aggravates a man stead of pacifying him. Not very. Here's a gentleman for you, sir, said the waiter, looking in. A what for me? cried John, as though he thought it must be a letter or a parcel. A gentleman, sir. Stars and garters, chap, said John. What dost thou come and say that for? In Witten. Are you at home, sir? "'At home?' cried John. "'I wish I were. I'd ha' taid two hour ago. "'Why, I told t'other chap to look sharp outside door "'and tell him directly he come that we were faint with hunger. "'In with him. "'Aha!' "'The hand, Mr. Nickleby. "'This is nigh to be the proudest day o' my life, sir. "'Who be all wit ye? "'Ding! But I'm glad o' this!' "'Quite forgetting even his hunger in the heartiness of his salutation, John Brodie shook Nicholas by the hand again and again, slapping his palm with great violence between each shake, to add warmth to the reception. "'Ah, there she be,' said John, observing the look which Nicholas directed towards his wife. "'There she be. We shan't quarrel about her no, eh? Ecod, when I think of that. But thou wantst so much to eat. Fall to, man, fall to. And for what we are about to receive—' No doubt the grace was properly finished, but nothing more was heard, for John had already begun to play such a knife and fork that his speech was, for the time, gone. "'I shall take the usual license, Mr. Brodie,' said Nicholas as he placed a chair for the bride. "'Tack whatever thou likest,' said John. 
and when asked again, call for more. Without stopping to explain, Nicholas kissed the blushing Mrs. Brodie and handed her to her seat. I say, said John, rather astounded for the moment, make thyself quite at home, Willie. You may depend upon that, replied Nicholas, on one condition. And what may that be? asked John. That you make me a godfather the very first time you have occasion for one. Hey, do you hear that? cried John, laying down his knife and fork. A godfather! Ha! <laughs> Tilly! Here, Tillin! A godfather! Didn't say a word more. You'll never be at that. Occasion for an. A godfather! <laughs> never was man so tickled with a respectable old joke as John Brodie was with this. He chuckled, roared, half suffocated himself by laughing large pieces of beef into his windpipe, roared again, persisted in eating at the same time, got red in the face and black in the forehead, coughed, cried, got better, went off again laughing inwardly, got worse, choked, had his back thumped, stamped about, frightened his wife, and at last recovered in a state of the last exhaustion and with the water streaming from his eyes, but still faintly ejaculating, A godfather! A godfather, Tilly! in a tone bespeaking an exquisite relish of the sally which no suffering could diminish. "'You remember the night of our first tea-drinking?' said Nicholas. "'Shall I e'er forget it, man?' replied John Brodie. "'He was a desperate fellow that night, though, was he not, Mrs. Brodie?' said Nicholas. "'Quite a monster!' "'If you had only heard him as we were going home, Mr. Nickleby, you'd have said so indeed,' returned the bride. "'I never was so frightened in all my life!' "'Coom, coom,' said John, with a broad grin. "'Thou knowst better than that, Tilly.' "'So I was,' replied Mrs. Brodie. "'I almost made up my mind never to speak to you again.' "'Almost,' said John, with a broader grin than the last. "'Almost made up her mind, and she were coaxin' and coaxin' and wheedlin' and wheedlin' out of blessed way. "'What didst thou let yon chap make up to be for?' says I. "'I didn't, John,' says she, a squeegin' my arm. "'You didn't,' says I. "'Nor,' says she, a squeegin' of me again. "'Lord, John,' interposed his wife, colouring very much, "'how can you talk such nonsense, as if I should have dreamt of such a thing?' "'I did not know whether thou ever dreamt of it, "'though I think that's like a nerf, mind,' retorted John. "'But thou didst it?' "'You're a fecal changeable weathercock, lass,' says I. "'Not fecal, John,' says she.' Yes, says I, fecal, damned fecal. Do not tell me thou bent after yon chap at school, Mesters, says I. Him, says she, quite screeching. Ah, him, says I. Why, John, says she, and she come a deal closer and squeeged a deal harder than she dare afore. Dost thou think it's natural, no, that having such a proper man as thou to keep company wit, I'd ever take up with such a little scanty whippersnapper as yon? She says, ha, 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 she said, whippersnapper. Ecod, I says, after that, name the day and let's have a tour. Ha, ha, ha. Nicholas laughed very heartily at this story, both on account of its telling against himself and his being desirous to spare the blushes of Mrs. Brodie, whose protestations were drowned in peals of laughter from her husband. His good nature soon put her at ease, and although she still denied the charge, she laughed so heartily at it that Nicholas had the satisfaction of feeling assured 
that in all essential respects it was strictly true. This is the second time, said Nicholas, that we have ever taken a meal together, and only third I have ever seen you, and yet it really seems to me as if I were among old friends. Well, observed the Yorkshireman, so I say. And I am sure I do, added his young wife. I have the best reason to be impressed with the feeling, mind, said Nicholas. For if it had not been for your kindness of heart, my good friend, when I had no right or reason to expect it, I know not what might have become of me, or what plight I should have been in by this time. Talk about summer else, replied John gruffly, and do not bother. It must be a new song to the same tune, then, said Nicholas, smiling. I told you in my letter that I deeply felt and admired your sympathy with that poor lad, whom you released at the risk of involving yourself in trouble and difficulty. But I can never tell you how grateful he and I, and others whom you don't know, are to you for taking pity on him. Ecod, rejoined John Brodie, drawing up his chair, and I can never tell you who grateful some folks that we do know would be likewise, if they nod I had taken pity on him. Ah! exclaimed Mrs. Brodie. What a state I was in that night! "'Were they at all disposed to give you credit for assisting in the escape?' inquired Nicholas of John Brodie. "'Not a bit,' replied the Yorkshireman, extending his mouth from ear to ear. "'There I lay, snug in schoolmaster's bed, long after it was dark, and nobody come nigh the place. "'Well,' thinks I, "'he's got a pretty good start, and if he bain't home by noo, he never will be. "'So you may come as quick as you like and find us ready.' "'That is, you know, schoolmaster might come.' "'I understand,' said Nicholas. "'Presently,' resumed John. "'He did come. "'I heard the door shut downstairs, "'and him a-warkin' oop in the dark. "'Slow and steady,' I says to meself. "'Take your time, sir, no hurry. "'He comes to the door, turns the key, "'turns the key when there warn't nothing to hold the lock.' and cause out, Hello there! Yes, thinks I, you may do that again and not whacken anybody, sir. Hello there, he says, and then he stops. Thou'd better not aggravate me, says schoolmaster, after a little time. I'll break every bone in your body, smite, he says, after another little time. Then all of a sudden, he sings out for a light, and when it comes, it caught such a hurly burly. What's the matter? says I. Is gain, says he. Start mad with vengeance. Have you ear not? Yes, says I. I heard street door shut no time at all ago. I heard a person run down there, pointing to other way, eh? Help, he cries. I'll help you, says I, and off we set the wrong way. <laughs> Oh, oh. "'Did you go far?' asked Nicholas. "'Far!' replied John. "'I run him clean off his legs in quarter of an hour "'to see old schoolmaster without his head, "'skimming along up to his knees in mud and water, "'tumbling over fences and rolling into ditches, "'and bawling out like mad with his one eye looking sharp out for the lad, "'and his coat-tails flying out behind, "'and him spattered with mud all o'er, face and all.' I thought I should have dropped down and killed myself with laughing. John laughed so heartily at the mere recollection that he communicated the contagion to both his hearers, and all three burst into peals of laughter, 
which were renewed again and again, until they could laugh no longer. "'Is a badden,' said John, wiping his eyes. "'A very badden, is schoolmaster.' "'I can't bear the sight of him, John,' said his wife. "'Come,' retorted John. "'That's tidy in you, that is. "'If it weren't along o' you, we shouldn't know not a bootin. "'Thou knowed un first, Tilly, didn't thou?' "'I couldn't help knowing Fanny Squeers, John,' returned his wife. "'She was an old playmate of mine, you know.' "'Well,' replied John, "'daren't I say so, lass? "'It's best to be neighbourly and to keep up old acquaintance, like. "'And what I say is, daren't quarrel if he can help it. "'Do not think so, Mr. Nickleby?' "'Certainly,' returned Nicholas. "'And you acted upon that principle when I met you on horseback on the road, "'after our memorable evening.' "'Surely,' said John, "'what I say I stick by.' "'And that's a fine thing to do, and manly, too,' said Nicholas, "'though it's not exactly what we understand by "'coming Yorkshire over us in London. "'Miss Squeers is stopping with you, you said in your note?' "'Yes,' replied John. "'Tilly's bridesmaid, and a queer bridesmaid she be, too. "'She won't be a bride in a hurry, I reckon.' "'For shame, John!' said Mrs. Brodie, with an acute perception of the joke, though, being a bride herself. "'The groom'll be a blessed man,' said John, his eyes twinkling at the idea. "'He'll be in luck, he will.' "'You see, Mr. Nickleby,' said his wife, "'that it was in consequence of her being here that John wrote to you and fixed tonight, because we thought that it wouldn't be pleasant for you to meet after what has passed.' "'Unquestionably. You were quite right in that,' said Nicholas, interrupting. "'Especially—' "'observed Mrs. Brodie, looking very sly. "'After what we know about past-and-gone love matters.' "'We know indeed,' said Nicholas, shaking his head. "'You behaved rather wickedly there, I suspect.' "'Of course she did,' said John Brodie, "'passing his huge forefinger through one of his wife's pretty ringlets "'and looking very proud of her. "'She were always as skittish and full of tricks as a—' "'Well, as a what?' said his wife. "'As a woman,' returned John. "'Ding, but I do not know what else that comes near it.' "'You were speaking about Miss Squeers,' said Nicholas, "'with the view of stopping some slight connubialities "'which had begun to pass between Mr. and Mrs. Brodie, "'and which rendered the position of a third party in some degree embarrassing, "'as occasioning him to feel rather in the way than otherwise.' "'Oh, yes,' rejoined Mrs. Brodie. "'John had done. "'John fixed tonight because she had settled that she would go and drink tea with her father.' and to make quite sure of there being nothing amiss, and of your being quite alone with us, he settled to go out there and fetch her home. That was a very good arrangement, said Nicholas, though I am sorry to be the occasion of so much trouble. Not the least in the world, returned Mrs. Brodie. For we have looked forward to see you, John and I have, with the greatest possible pleasure. Do you know, Mr. Nickleby, said Mrs. Brodie, with her archest smile, that I really think Fanny Squeers was very fond of you? "'I am very much obliged to her,' said Nicholas. "'But upon my word I never aspired to making any impression upon her virgin heart.' "'How you talk!' tittered Mrs. Brodie. "'No, but do you know that really? "'Seriously now, and without any joking, "'I was given to understand by Fanny herself that you had made an offer to her, "'and that you two were going to be engaged quite solemn and regular.' "'Was you, ma'am? Was you?' cried a shrill female voice. "'Was you given to understand that I, I, was going to be engaged to an assassinating thief that shed the gore of my paw? 
do you do you think ma'am that i was very fond of such dirt beneath my feet as i couldn't condescend to touch with kitchen tongs without blacking and crocking myself by the contract do you ma'am do you oh base and degrading tilda with these reproaches miss squeers flung the door wide open and disclosed to the eyes of the astonished brodies and nicholas not only her own symmetrical form arrayed in the chaste white garments before described a little dirtier but the form of her brother and father the pair of wackfords this is the hend is it continued miss squeers who being excited aspirated her h's strongly this is the hend is it of all my forbearance and friendship for that double-faced thing that viper that that mermaid miss squeers hesitated a long time for this last epithet and brought it out triumphantly at last as if it quite clinched the business this is the hend is it of all my bearing with her deceitfulness her lowness her falseness her laying herself out to catch the admiration of vulgar minds in a way which made me blush for my for my gender suggested mr squeers regarding the spectators with a malevolent eye literally a malevolent eye yes said miss squeers but i think my stars and my mars of the same here here remarked mr squeers and i wish she was here to have a scratch at this company this is the hend is it said miss squeers tossing her head and looking contemptuously at the floor of my taking notice of that rubbishing creature and demeaning myself to patronize her oh come rejoined mrs Brodie, disregarding all the endeavours of her spouse to restrain her and forcing herself into a front row don't talk such nonsense as that have i not patronized you ma'am demanded miss squeers no returned mrs Brodie. i will not look for blushes in such a quarter said miss squeers haughtily for that countenance is a stranger to everything but ignominiousness and red-faced boldness i say interposed john Brodie, nettled by these accumulated attacks on his wife draw it mild draw it mild you mr Brodie," said miss squeers taking him up very quickly i pity i have no feeling for you sir but one of unliquidated pity oh said john no said miss squeers looking sideways at her parent although i am a queer bridesmaid and shan't be a bride in a hurry and although my husband will be in luck i entertain no sentiments towards you sir but sentiments of pity here miss squeers looked sideways at her father again who looked sideways at her as much as to say there you had him i know what you've got to go through said miss squeers shaking her curls violently i know what life is before you and if you was my bitterest and deadliest enemy i could wish you nothing worse couldn't you wish to be married to him yourself if that was the case inquired mrs Brodie with great suavity of manner oh ma'am how witty you are retorted miss squeers with a low curtsey almost as witty ma'am as you are clever how very clever it was in you ma'am to choose a time when i had gone to tea with my pa and was sure not to come back without being fetched what a pity you never thought that other people might be as clever as yourself and spoil your plans you won't vex me child with such airs as these said the late miss price assuming the matron don't missus me ma'am if you please 
returned Miss Squeers sharply. I'll not bear it. Is this the hand? Dang it all, cried John Brodie impatiently. Say thee say out, Fanny, and make sure it's the end, and do not ask nobody whether it is or not. Thanking you for your advice, which was not required, Mr. Brodie, returned Miss Squeers with laborious politeness. Have the goodness not to presume to meddle with my Christian name. Even my pity shall never make me forget what's due to myself, Mr. Brodie. Tilda, said Miss Squeers with such a sudden accession of violence that John started in his boots. I throw you off for ever, miss. I abandon you. I renounce you. I wouldn't, cried Miss Squeers in a solemn voice. Have a child named Tilda, not to save it from its grave. As for the matter o' that, observed John, it'll be time enough to think about naming of it when it comes. John, interposed his wife, don't tease her. Oh, tease indeed, cried Miss Squeers, bridling up. Tease indeed, <laughs> tease too. No, don't tease her. Consider her feelings, pray. If it's fated that listeners are never to hear any good of themselves, said Miss Brodie, I can't help it, and I am very sorry for it, but I will say, Fanny, that times out of number I have spoken so kindly of you behind your back that even you could have found no fault with what I said. Oh, I dare say not, ma'am, cried Miss Squeers with another curtsy. Best thanks to you for your goodness and begging and praying you not to be hard upon me another time. I don't know, resumed Mrs. Brodie, that I have said anything very bad of you even now. At all events, what I did say was quite true, but if I have, I am very sorry for it, and I beg your pardon. You have said much worse of me scores of times, Fanny, but I have never borne any malice to you, and I hope you'll not bear any to me. Miss Squeers made no more direct reply than surveying her former friend from top to toe, and elevating her nose in the air with ineffable disdain. But some indistinct allusions to a puss, and a minx, and a contemptible creature, escaped her. And this, together with a severe biting of the lips, great difficulty in swallowing, and very frequent comings and goings of breath, seemed to imply that feelings were swelling in Miss Squeers's bosom too great for utterance. While the foregoing conversation was proceeding, Master Wackford, finding himself unnoticed, and feeling his preponderating inclination strong upon him, had by little and little sidled up to the table, and attacked the food with such slight skirmishing as drawing his fingers round and round the inside of the plates, and afterwards sucking them with infinite relish, picking the bread, and dragging the pieces over the surface of the butter, pocketing lumps of sugar, pretending all the time to be absorbed in thought, and so forth. Finding that no interference was attempted with these small liberties, he gradually mounted to greater, and after helping himself to a moderately good cold collation was, by this time, deep in the pie. Nothing of this had been unobserved by Mr. Squeers, who, so long as the attention of the company was fixed upon other objects, hugged himself to think that his son and heir should be fattening at the enemy's expense. But there being now an appearance of a temporary calm, in which the proceedings of little Wackford could scarcely fail to be observed, he feigned to be aware of the circumstance for the first time, and inflicted upon the face of that young gentleman a slap that made the very teacups ring. "'Eating!' cried Mr. Squeers. "'Of what his father's enemies has left, it's fit to go and poison you, you unnatural boy!' "'It won't hurt him,' 
said John, apparently very much relieved by the prospect of having a man in the quarrel. Latin eat. I wish the whole school was here. I'd give em summat to stay their unfortunate stomachs wit, if I spent the last penny I had. Squeers scowled at him with the worst and most malicious expression of which his face was capable. It was a face of remarkable capability, too, in that way, and shook his fist stealthily. Come, come, schoolmaster, said John. Do not make a fool of thyself, for if I was to shake mine only once, thou'd fud down wit the wind o' it. It was you, was it? returned Squeers. That helped off my runaway boy. It was you, was it? Me, returned John in a loud tone. Yes, it war me, coom. What o' that? It war me. No, then. You hear him say he did it, my child? said Squeers, appealing to his daughter. You hear him say he did it? Did it? cried John. I'll tell him more. Hear this, too. If thou'd got another runaway boy, I'd do it again. If thou'd got twenty runaway boys, I'd do it twenty times o'er, and twenty more to that. And I tell thee more, said John. Knew my blood is up, that thou'rt an old rascal, and that is weel for thou, thou beest an olden, or I'd have pounded thee to flour when thou told an honest man who thou licked that poor chap into courch. An honest man, cried Squeers with a sneer. Ah, an honest man, replied John. Honest in aught, but ever putting legs under same table with such as thou. Scandal, said Squeers exultingly. Two witnesses to it. Wackford knows the nature of an oath he does. We shall have you there, sir. Rascal, eh? Mr. Squeers took out his pocket-book and made a note of it. Very good. I should say that was worth full twenty pound at the next assizes, without the honesty, sir. Soizes, cried John. Thou'd better not talk to me of soizes. Yorkshire schools have been shown up at soizes afore new, man, and it's a ticklish subject to revive, I can tell ye. Mr. Squeers shook his head in a threatening manner, looking very white with passion, and taking his daughter's arm and dragging little Wackford by the hand, retreated towards the door. "'As for you,' said Squeers, turning round and addressing Nicholas, who, as he had caused him to smart pretty soundly on a former occasion, purposely abstained from taking any part in the discussion. "'See if I ain't down upon you before long. You'll go a-kidnapping a boys, will you?' Take care their fathers don't turn up. Mark that. Take care their fathers don't turn up, and send them back to me to do as I like with in spite of you. I am not afraid of that, replied Nicholas, shrugging his shoulders contemptuously and turning away. Ain't you? retorted Squeers with a diabolical look. Now then, come along. I leave such society with my pa for ever said Miss Squeers, looking contemptuously and loftily round. "'I am defiled by breathing the air with such creatures. Poor Mr. Brodie! <laughs> I do pity him, that I do. He's so deluded. <laughs> Artful and designing Tilda!' With this sudden relapse into the sternest and most majestic wrath, Miss Squeers swept from the room, and having sustained her dignity until the last possible moment, was heard to sob and scream and struggle in the passage. John Brodie remained standing behind the table, looking from his wife to Nicholas, and back again, 
with his mouth wide open, until his hand accidentally fell upon the tankard of ale when he took it up, and having obscured his features therewith for some time, drew a long breath, handed it over to Nicholas, and rang the bell. "'Here, waiter,' said John briskly. "'Look alive here, tack these things away, and let's have some at broil for supper. Very comfortable and plenty o' it. At ten o'clock, bring some brandy and some water and a pair of slippers, the largest pair in the house, and be quick about it. Dash my wig,' said John, rubbing his hands. "'There's no gangin' out to neat, no, to fetch anybody home, and ecod we'll begin to spend the evening in earnest.'" End of chapter 42 Recording by Timothy Pinkham Timothy P-I-N-K-H-A-M dot com La Palma, California May 2009